Plane Crazy Down Under's coverage of the Australian International Air Show is proudly brought to you by Aviation Advertiser, Australia's largest aviation marketplace. Make buying and selling aircraft easy by doing it online. Visit aviationadvertiser.com.au today. Well, g'day folks and welcome back to Playing Crazy Down Under and in fact uh, welcome from the media centre here at uh, Avalon 2011 at Avalon Airport here in Geelong, Victoria, Australia. This is episode 54 of the first of our uh, quick car series from the Avalon Air Show. Grant, uh, we're just about to wrap up for the day. It's been very, very busy but uh, before we do, let's uh, do this intro and uh, talk about uh, what we've done here on day one of the air show and uh, boy, we've been busy. Oh, we've been very busy, mate. We're, I've been running around organising interviews, uh, we've done a few discussions with, uh, with people and you've been doing some uh, fiendish editing here in the media room and the plan is for you to do some more editing in the back of the car while I drive us back to Melbourne tonight. Yeah, lucky I bought a station wagon recently, Grant, I'll tell you what, it's going to prove very handy I think, but uh, yeah, we'll have this one out uh, very, very quickly, so uh, it's all come together pretty well today. Uh, interesting for me, Grant, I've um, you know I've been to uh, every Avalon since its inception, I think except for one, but the interesting thing for me is I've never been here on the trader only days of course the first three days of the air show is uh, trade only and um, so the one thing that uh, I'm, uh, I've not seen here is the crowds that I'm used to seeing because uh, naturally you wouldn't see them there they won't be here till later in the week that's right mate uh, well don't forget from me working tarmac here I'm used to being here when there's no one here just the tarmac guys and a few aircraft but uh, yeah this is the first day that it actually starts to get busy for people who have been here for a few for a while it's when the uh, trade show opens it's when the uh, industry people come along and when all the us media types turn up so uh there's people around but it's the the first few days are the great time to uh, get out and meet all the uh, various groups in the chalets and in the trade hall and to organize a few interviews and actually get a few of them to happen prior to the crowds turning up and it getting pretty noisy and busy that makes it very difficult to get some good interviews absolutely now we've got a little bit of video our photographer for today is uh, Stephen pam and he's been very busy at getting some wonderful shots and we'll have those up uh, online in uh, pretty quick order um, Grant, uh, as we expected, uh, very heavy military presence here at Avalon today. It's, uh, it's, there's been a lot of military aircraft. We've seen uh, F-16s from the Republic of Singapore, of course F-16s from the US military, of course, and uh, F-A-18s, and, uh, well, there's lots of heavy metal here too, mate. Oh, yeah, uh, we've got uh, KC-10 extenders. There's a KC-135 and a B-52 way up the other end of the runway in uh, what's colloquially known as Siberia. Yeah, you sprang that on me too. I didn't even know it was here. If I'd known there was a B-52, I'd have gone and looked at that first. Yeah, no, it's way the heck up the other end, mate. It would have taken you probably about 15 to 20 minutes to stagger up there and back. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, that's Siberia up the far end. And uh, we've also got the two F-22 Raptors parked next to a B-1B sitting in the keyhole. And there's another B-1 parked further up in Siberia. I believe that's where the KC-135 is as well. KC-10 is parked up there. There was a KC-10 in the keyhole area today, but that's going to disappear. Actually, I tell a lie, the KC-10... One of them is parked further around near the entrance we came through. Uh, that's at the top end up near the Qantas maintenance base. But yeah, a bunch of uh, F-18s from the uh, Royal Australian Air Force, one of their demo, uh, multi-ship demonstration teams, and a couple of Convair water bombers, Sea mm. uh, Kings, MRH-90s, and all sorts of other helicopters there as well with both defence and civilian. Uh, the Piaggio Avanti 2 is being launched with us tomorrow. Mm. Uh, so we're looking forward to seeing that. That's a beautiful pusher, uh, very much like the Beach Starship in terms of sleek 
aerodynamics. Yeah, but, Dr. Uh, Dr. Andrew had a quick look at that just up on the ramp uh, during yeah. a, one of our short brief interludes today, and uh, <laughs> that is one beautiful-looking machine. Oh, yeah, very much drooling and looking forward to getting in and uh, having a look on the inside of that. Uh, but, yeah, I've spent most of today running around making acquaintance with people and organising our schedule for the rest of the week. Uh, we did get some interviews today. We uh, managed to get a quick chat with uh, Dr. Brendan Nelson, who was the uh, Defence Minister in 2006-2007, and he was the person responsible for signing the paperwork for the Super Hornets and the C-17 and the MRH-90 and a number of other purchases, that are most of which have gone ahead, most of which have been quite successful as well, such as the Supers and the C-17. So, yeah, we were fortunate enough to grab him. Um, Steve noticed him in, a, in the crowd, and uh, I dived in and said hi, and he agreed to have a chat with us, which was rather wonderful. Yep. Uh, we also had a chat with a couple of gentlemen from Saab, uh, Mark Robinson and Martin Hoffensetz, who uh, were... Uh, kind enough to take us through their virtual control tower systems which are very exciting and interesting and Mm. uh, looks like we might be seeing them being deployed and trialled here in Australia. We've also recorded an interview with uh, Peter Dow from uh, TVSA Flying School. They have achieved a momentous goal in terms of arranging a a way to get past a major blocker and a a preventer of student pilots ever starting to learn or people going for additional licenses. Uh, We'll let Paul explain what that is, but it's it's something that uh, addresses a major issue that uh, Steve and I have been very concerned about lately. Yep, and it's something we're going to be talking about a lot on the show, uh, you know, over the course of the next year or so. We've got some big plans for talking about uh, pilot training and some of the barriers to entry and perhaps uh, some of the ways to get around that. And uh, yep. as you'll hear with Peter Dow, he's, uh, he's got a great option. So uh, that'll be coming up uh, probably after the ad break. And uh, yeah, to wrap things up, we've also got uh, the first of uh, these quick casts. We're going to wrap up each quick cast with a couple of segments. Uh, the first one is Timbo's Tarmac. And the second one is in the keyhole with Papa Smurf. Uh, these are a couple of gentlemen I used to work with on uh, Tarmac. We've got uh, approval from the uh, guys in charge of Tarmac operations for us to corner them every day and get updates on what's come in. Timbo runs the Warbird Tarmac and uh, Papa Smurf is number two in charge of the uh, keyhole area, which is a major parking area for some heavy metal. Now, uh, Grant, now Grant, tell me, is it really the Papa Smurf? Well, he looked pretty blue today, but that was because it was kind of cold. <laughs> it was quite a chill. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, no, as, as you'll find, most of the people on Tarmac are never called by their real names. Um, I won't tell you what they called me. In fact, I'm trying to forget it. But um, yeah, all... I'm going to make that a goal for this week, folks, to find out exactly what that was. Actually, the first bit of audio we'll play for you here is just a bit of a cut-down clip from the uh, the opening festivities that were going on. Uh, the uh, Richard Dolariva, who is a state government minister here in Victoria, had the uh, the honour and the pleasure of uh, opening the show officially, and uh, he was in the presence of uh, more military brass and uh, suits and ties and politicians than I've ever seen in one room my entire life. So uh, we'll just play a little bit of that and from there we'll go straight into our interview with Dr. Brennan Nelson. Grant, uh, let's kick it off for uh, day one of our quick car series. Indeed, let's go for it. May I, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, introduce the Honourable Richard Dallariva, Minister for uh, Manufacturing, Exports and Trade, representing the Premier of Victoria, who will perform the official opening this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. Thank you. Well, thanks very much, uh, Ian, and I'll speak to you about you in a minute. But to the ambassadors, to uh, the Minister for Defence, uh, Stephen Smith, to Jason Clear, uh, Minister for Defence Materiel, to the Shadow Minister, Stuart Roberts, uh, 
to um, my state parliamentary colleague, uh, Minister Gordon Rich Phillips, uh, representing uh, the aviation industry, to Cameron Granger, on behalf of the Mayor, who uh, has done his back, uh, I understand, um, to Air Marshal Mark Binskin, uh, Air Marshal Les Fisher, uh, to Ian Smith, uh, Chairman, and to a uh, special welcome to Brendan Nelson, the Honourable Brendan Nelson, the former Defence uh, Minister. Welcome uh, to you, sir. And uh, it was good to see that Ian Honorary uh, had got up here in true, uh, and this is a typical Victorian joke, so please bear with me. Uh, and the Premier would share this as well, being a Geelong supporter, but it was good to see that Ian had been sharing that one-eyed uh, Geelong supporting view before with his uh, glasses, so that you've now, now got two eyes back on, so hopefully you'll be supporting Essendon. Anyway, I've got rid of that, uh, that out of my way. Distinguished guests, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is my great pleasure to welcome you here to the 2011 Australian International Air Show and Aerospace and Defence Exposition. Particularly like to extend uh, on behalf of the Premier and the State Government to a warm welcome for those from interstate and from overseas. This is an international event which showcases Melbourne and regional Victoria. It is also an event that showcases the best of what Victoria has to offer in the aviation and aerospace, in skills, technology and innovation and in major event management. We are fortunate, uh, as the Deputy uh, Mayor said, to be able to conduct an event uh, only 20 kilometres from the outskirts of Geelong, at one of Australia's most important regional cities with excellent business and infrastructure uh, for tourism. Before I hand back, can I also thank the organisers for their efforts for putting on this wonderful, outstanding international event. And I wish all of the participating organisations and companies a very enjoyable, productive time here at the Air Show and the Exposition. And so I now formally declare the 2011 Australian International Air Show and Aerospace and Defence Exposition officially open. Thank you. Hey, we're standing here with Dr. Brendan Nelson, the uh, former uh, Defence Minister here in Australia. Dr. Nelson, welcome aboard. Thank you very much for having me. Now, um, it was two Avalons ago, I was standing on the tarmac and watched you, with extreme jealousy, get a uh, F-18 Super Hornet ride. Yeah, it, I must say it was one of the uh, highlights uh, on the fun side of uh, being the Defence Minister and uh, one of the uh, guys took me up in the US Navy Super Hornet yep. and uh, I'd had a ride in one of our classics, uh, one of the guys had taken me up at Tyndall uh, yep. the year before, but it was an exhilarating experience and not one that uh, I will forget, but I'll also say that I subsequently in 2007 had a ride uh, in a US Navy Super Hornet uh, off the flight deck of oh. Kitty Hawk at sea. Oh nice. So uh, That's nice. wonderful. I can't begin to describe the experience. Oh yeah, yeah. that full on acceleration and then the deceleration of the tail hooking as you landed. Yeah, I, I mean going out to the aircraft carrier was uh, fun enough <laughs> and uh, I didn't expect, in fact I didn't even ask uh, to have a ride, I wouldn't uh, ask that sort of thing. but. Uh, I'd been on board about 20 minutes and um, they said, I oh, will kit you up. And I said, kit me up for what? And they said, oh, we're going to put you up uh, in a Super Hornet off the flight deck. Nice. <laughs> and uh, so it, it was in very interesting as a civilian, if you like, to be on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier yeah. uh, to appreciate just how cluttered it is. Yep. Uh, extremely dangerous, uh, yes. potentially, uh, with so many aircraft on the deck and so much activity. But then uh, to be uh, sitting in the aircraft uh, with the ramp up behind, uh, 
the catapult uh, fully loaded, ready to go. The engine's on uh, pretty much full thrust. I think yeah. that's what you guys say. And the hardest part was actually keeping my eyes open so I could see what was going on <laughs> because it seemed uh, instantaneously uh, we went from stationary to doing a barrel roll uh, and then other things. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But, uh, but when I had the ride, uh, the one that, uh, here in Avalon, uh, the one when I had the ride there, we went. Uh, we had a 40-minute uh, ride. We went down to the 12 Apostles. Oh, nice! And I remember the pilot uh, had the aircraft at uh, a reasonably high altitude, and we could see uh, some smoke coming up from behind the 12 Apostles, and a helicopter was flying down at that level. And the pilot said, "I oh, will go down and have a look at this helicopter." So you can imagine these guys in this helicopter <laughs> suddenly see a U.S. Navy Super Hornet come alongside. Yeah. So we slowed the thing right down, and uh, and we were there for a while, and then suddenly just opened her up, and up we went, and oh, wow. we went out to 7.8 Gs, and uh, nice. we did uh, corkscrews and uh, various things, and. I think they like taking me up in the sense that I just say to the pilot, you can do whatever you like, it doesn't worry. <laughs> Excellent. Did yeah, you maintain consciousness during the, uh, the 7.8Gs? I certainly did maintain consciousness, and uh, but at my age, uh, 50 uh, as I was then, uh, uh, the thing you worry about is your retina. I, uh, yeah. I'm a physician by training, so you worry. You, you know, that's the sort of thing I worry about. But, uh, <laughs> but w wonderful, wonderful experience. Yes. No, I'm, I'm a G freak. I, uh, I've been up in one of the Red Bull races and done eight Gs sustained in a 270 degree turn with a with Joel Haskey from um, Red Baron in Sydney. Totally recommend the ride. If anyone is ever looking for a present for you, just drop hints. Get Joel to give you a ride. Okay. All right. Well, I, I think I've probably had my fair share of it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's pretty hard to top a Super Hornet. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful privilege. And um, uh, obviously the things that make being Defence Minister worthwhile are not those things. Uh, uh, in fact, one of the things I discovered uh, when I went into the job was I didn't particularly feel it was appropriate to get uh, caught up too much in the equipment uh, on that side of it. But what I discovered is that our personnel, whether it's our Air Force pers personnel with aircraft or our Army with their vehicles or yep. sailors with their ships, uh, it means a lot to them that you show an interest in what yep. they are using on yep. our nation's behalf and uh, it, it, they take it as a, a compliment. And, yep. uh, uh, but uh, one of the other humorous things, by the way, is when I was uh, getting in the uh, Super Hornet uh, on Kitty Hawk, uh, one of the Americans uh, seemed a bit uh, surprised and a bit talking to one of his mates about what I was doing. And uh, I said, are you OK? He said, yeah. He said, uh, we're not used to seeing defence secretaries young enough or thin enough to fit in our aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I said, well, I said, I think uh, uh, you've had uh, people that would definitely fit the bill. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is, and, and also because you'd been in one before, you kind of know where to put your feet. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was, um, anyway, it was a, a great uh, decision, uh, I, I think, obviously, I'm biased, but I thought it was a great decision to acquire the 24 Super Hornets. There was a bit of, uh, in fact, a fair bit of criticism of it at the time, but it was yep. the right thing to do. Yeah, no, definitely. The, the During the term of your uh, administration in government, you also oversaw the purchase of the C-17s and the MRH-9, as you were telling us briefly. So it must be satisfying now to see, this many years down the track, that those aircraft are here now and performing as they were envisaged, uh, particularly with the flood recovery, as was mentioned in the opening uh, ceremony. Yeah, it was... Um We'd been thinking about getting C-17s for a couple of years and uh, early, very early in 2006 when I was appointed to the job, it was one of the first decisions that had to be made. 
And so I remember going to that uh, first budget in 2006 and the Australian economy was strong and uh, arguing for four C-17s and there was a debate about whether we should get four or even less. Uh, but uh, the decision was made, uh, John Howard strongly supported it, uh, the then opposition now in government uh, also supported it and I recall we made the decision in early March uh, that in principle we would, uh, we would do this and the first aircraft landed in Australia in early December. 2006. Right. Yep. Uh, yep. It was just uh, stunning to see the way that uh, Boeing and the United States Air Force uh, worked with us uh, to get delivery. There was, there was a lot to be said for buying common off-the-shelf equipment, so to speak. Yeah, well it's interesting. Uh, we've now got a two-pass system, uh, as your listeners are well aware, for uh, acquiring, making major acquisitions, and that system works very well uh, in the sense of having a an initial look at it, spending about 10% of the budget, then having a detailed process to look at whatever you're buying and comparing it with uh, another option. But uh, some of the best acquisitions we made were just cut through, cut through the system. Yeah. So a C-17, well-developed platform, uh, price certainty, uh, uncertainty in terms of delivery, worked brilliantly and the Super Hornet uh, similarly. And whilst I I know I was criticised at the time by, it seemed just about everybody, I must say, for, for buying them. Uh, I kept saying, uh, perhaps not too subtly, I kept saying, well, um, uh, the new air combat capability plan that we had developed uh, was the right plan for Australia, but I was concerned about the complex elements of it, uh, perhaps slipping to the right quite significantly. Uh, I was worried about the F-111s being able to fly as, uh, until 2012, as it was mm -hmm. planned at that time. And I was also worried about the political risk to the Joint Strike Fighter being delivered uh, on time. Mm -hmm. uh, the technological complexity is one thing, but the issues surrounding the US economy, the decisions in the Congress, uh, I was very concerned. And then we had uh, emerging delays on Wedgetail with JASM. Yep. Uh, at that stage, even then in 2006, I was worried about uh, the boom on the um, uh, uh, tankers. So there were and centre barrel upgrades, conventional hornets. Yep. For all of those and other reasons, I felt it was the right thing to do. We were up at Amberley recently for the uh, retirement uh, festivities yeah. for the F-111 and talking to a lot of the air crews and the flight crews there, they seemed quite positive actually about, uh, quite eager. There wasn't, a, we didn't actually detect much of a tinge of sadness as we expected to about the F-111 going. Yeah. They're all really focused now on the Super Hornet it seems and there's seen quite an air of excitement up there just as an aside. So yeah. from their standpoint, they seem quite happy with it. Well, you know, I remember again, I remember saying at the time uh, late in 2006 and 2007 when we made this decision that um, it's like an E.H. Holden, you know, you love it, you know, you've got the 179 motor, you've got the, the chromies on it, you, you, you know, you're emotionally attached to it, it's a wonderful car and it's easy to say why should I get the new one but uh, then you roll out a new uh, HSV Commodore uh, and, you know, people go, well, this is pretty yeah, good. Pretty good, it's pretty special. <laughs> and I'm sorry I couldn't, uh, I saw the reporting in uh, RAF News, obviously, of the retirement of F-111s, I would have loved mm. to have uh, gone for it. That was uh, a fantastic day. Gone to it. Uh, yeah, the media event was great. Yeah. But, um, Dr Nelson, we know you're really busy. Uh, probably before we finish, maybe if you could tell us what you're doing now that you're out of the rough and tumble of uh, Parliament House and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> well, well, I surprisingly, uh, I was very surprised. I wasn't seeking anything like it and I didn't expect to be offered it uh, uh, by the government, but I was appointed Australia's ambassador to Belgium and to Luxembourg, but also Australia's ambassador to the European Union and Australia's ambassador to NATO. So... Uh, 
I've got a very interesting, busy and diverse uh, job in uh, Brussels and I've been doing it for a year. Uh, we're negotiating a long-term relationship with NATO which will take us well beyond the Afghanistan uh, deployment uh, where Australia is the 10th largest contributor. We're looking at uh, cyber security, proliferation, uh, piracy, uh, energy resource security and a whole range of issues which, uh, for which NATO has now understands it must have a global approach and work with partners, of mm. which Australia will be one. And similarly with the European Union, we're negotiating a tier one yeah. uh, treaty framework agreement with them which will take our relationship with the European Union to that of the other G20 countries. So it's um, the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Gillard asked me late last year, she said, what's it like? And I said, well, it's, it's a bit like politics, um, <laughs> except you don't have your party branch meetings to attend. Uh, you don't have to uh, do your fundraising functions. Uh, you've got the, you don't have the less pleasant side of the media. And uh, also, they don't seem to be any backstabbers. So, um, so that's, that's, a, that's a welcome change. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's a it's a privilege to it, look. It's a privilege to serve Australia, and uh, it's it's busy, and I enjoy doing it. And I've just come back to Australia briefly. My daughter was getting married, and um, uh, and I thought, well, I'll uh, I'll pop down to the air show while I'm there. Yep. Yeah. Great choice. Well. Yeah, we really appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. We know you're very busy and there's plenty of other people looking to speak to you, so we probably got to let you go. Well, you're the guys that make the world go round and uh, no-one's more important than anybody else, and thanks for what you're doing. Thanks, Dr. Brandon Nelson. Thank you very much. Whether you're buying or selling a light single-engine aircraft or a corporate jet, do it faster and easier with aviationadvertiser.com.au. Aviationadvertiser.com.au is Australia's largest aviation marketplace. As the country's largest source of aircraft classifieds, you'll find hundreds of new and used aircraft of all types online 24 hours a day. With ads from just $39 and the convenience of buying and selling online, it's easy and affordable. Connect with Australia's largest buy and sell aviation community at aviation. This Avalon Quickcast episode is brought to you by Red Baron Adventures and Advanced Flight Training. Whether it's the ride of your life or taking your skills to a whole new level, Red Baron's professional staff of skilled pilots can take you to the limits. Go to www.redbaron.com.au for more details. Tembi Automotive Service and Eltham are committed to excellence. Proud winners of the 2010 Repco National Dealer Award, Tembi Automotive have been servicing the Eltham community for over 21 years. For all your vehicle servicing needs, call 9439 7574. Pilot Stu here of the Pilot's Journey podcast, and you're listening to Plane Crazy Down Under's coverage of the Australian International Air Show, recorded live at Avalon 2011. Now back to Grant and Steve. We're here with Mark Robinson and Marty Hoffinsons. You gentlemen are with Saab. Correct. And uh, Saab, here you've got some amazing technology that uh, lets us look at a virtual control tower window. Um, would you mind explaining what we've got here? Yeah, absolutely. This is called a remotely operated tower. It's a capability that um, Saab have developed in conjunction with LFV, who are the Swedish air traffic control provider. And it's the capability to control one airport from another location, um, possibly up to as far as 1,000 or 2,000 kilometers away, by the use of a bunch of uh, cameras on top of the tower, 
um, and then that's those images being processed and uh, sent to the other location. So that would allow somebody to control more than one tower, for example, from a remote location. There's a possibility that uh, in under certain certain circumstances, you could control up to two or three different airports. It depends on the movement of the aeroplanes at those airports. But if the movements are scheduled so that they are sequential from one airport to the next, yep. certainly there's no reason you can't close down the view of one airport, flick a switch, go okay. to the next airport, and keep moving along in a particular direction like that. That's, okay. that's certainly possible. Yeah. So uh, what kind of technology is involved? Is it something for Marty? Yeah, sure. Um, so we're basically uh, using mostly off-the-shelf technologies in terms of cameras, uh, compression algorithms to reduce the data throughput through the system and uh, interfacing to a, a lot of existing airport systems such as lighting and navigation aids. We're putting that through a, uh, a communication system and then sending it down, for example, a, a fibre communications okay. network back to the remote centre, uh, whether it be a thousand kilometres away as, as Mark had said. Yep, okay. So sort of dedicated fibre link lines and things like that. That's right, yeah. And we also send the, the voice as well, the communications voice with the, with the pilots and the same communications channel. Okay. So, yes. so uh, now my understanding is that you are in discussions with air services at the moment about the possibility that maybe something like this could even be used here in Australia. Yes, um, I think air services have seen the, um, the trials that have been conducted in Sweden and appreciate that there's a uh, relevance to some of their operations in Australia. Um, we have a memorandum of understanding to pursue that a little bit further with them and we're negotiating hopefully that um, within the next 12 months or so there may be a trial of a location of one of their airports to be controlled from another remote location just as a proof of concept yep. to see that they're happy from a um, safety and a regulatory point of view that this is doable if you yep. like um, and we're hoping to, to advance that a little bit over the next few months. Okay. Now the uh, technology that's involved, we're looking here at four major screens, do you get more screens to get more viz? Can you do a full 360 wraparound? That's right, this what you're seeing here is just a demonstration system for a, a, a venue like this for an air show, so the real system would encompass 360 degrees, full panoramic views, okay. um, a number of fixed cameras to provide that view, and then a, uh, a couple of pan tilt zoom cameras which replicate the use of a binoculars so you can move it around and look at a particular part of the sky you can zoom into quite a high resolution to look at some fine detail but yes you'd have a more like a dome arrangement at the remote tower center okay. uh, providing vision of all the 10 or more cameras and at the end of the day the intent is to replicate the view out of a normal control tower yep. so our controller can turn around look behind him and see what's going on behind him he can do exactly the same on our screens okay um, how many screens he has is entirely up to the customer it's there's a few technical things associated with the number of screens as well yep. and that's linked to the number of cameras that you have and one thing or another okay. so um, it's very much up to the customer our solution is flexible yep. modular uh, we can provide whatever the customer wants but yeah the plan is that the uh, controllers can can walk from a existing control tower to the new remote location and have be the same have the, use the same training it's, it's basically it looks the same and same yep. look and feel as the real tower okay now I notice that you've got a lot more than that as, as well, looking at what's on your screen demo here, you've got a bit of augmented reality in that you've got a zoom window over another window, you've got uh, like little highlights pointing out that this is that aircraft and so on. Uh, yep, yeah, so what we've done there is we've got a uh, ability to track um, the aircraft either using a radar if it's present or extracting um, track information from the video streams and then placing a label or a box over the uh, the image on the screen which assists the controller enable be able to quickly locate aircraft in the sky 
and we can also then overlay other information such as its its uh, call sign or its uh, squawk code or its altitude. Just gives us a bit of extra information to enable to make the operations safer and easier to use by the, the yep. controllers. Okay. And there are certain uh, advantages using them digitally, uh, digital pitches like we can enhance the visibility in poor weather conditions, in fog and in low cloud or rain. We can actually get slightly better pictures yep. on the um, on the screens than the naked eye could see. So okay. we can also overlay uh, some images on the runways at night to yep. in, in, increase the controller situational awareness, showing where the taxiways are a bit clearer. So there are certain advantages yep. uh, on our system than you can actually get in, in real life. Yeah, that augmented reality thing. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. The other big feature that it has too is that obviously everything is recorded. So an advantage of this system over a, a regular tower is that you are recording vision as well as the other data. So if you need to do any sort of analysis or replay, you can do a complete replay of the of an of, of an event. Yeah, go back to the, uh, the the what do they call it? The video umpire. Yeah, yeah that's right. Have a look. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Cool. Exactly. So there's one more um, capability of this system. You can use it for contingency operations, whether that be. Um, uh, terrorist threats of air airports, fire in the control tower, that sort of thing, where normally you would have to come down to a metering system which would vastly reduce the number of aircraft that could, could yeah. come in and out of an airport. With this system, you could remotely control the tower for, say, Sydney Tower or Melbourne Tower, and you could operate at probably 60 to 70% of your normal capacity by using this sort of uh, technology as well. So that's uh, another option, in addition to controlling slightly lower density aerodromes. Yep. The higher density aerodromes is, is an application of it as well. That's a fallback contingency yeah, scenario. Yeah. Yeah, if it stops okay. operating, you can flick, it, flick the switch and go to the you know, one in a bunker or a, yep. a, a basement, which is, allows you to keep operating in those conditions. Yeah, no, that's good. The, uh, now, in terms of comms and all that, I take it there's a lot of uh, failover redundancy and things like that, because you're going to be far away or, or even in the basement. Uh, the last thing you want is to be trying to control things and the, the, you lose comms. So. Yeah, there's quite a lot of design effort being put into that side of the, um, the system. Uh, we've got a few things. We've got backup cameras, so if one fails, we can uh, replace that immediately with another view from another camera. Similarly for screen files, we can reshuffle the images to ensure that we uh, maintain vision for the most important screens. But And for comms, we generally have to run, we will run two separate comms paths. So if one was to fail, that one still be up. So completely separate um, run it, run it um, comms paths. Okay. And, and notwithstanding that, the procedures that we use in some ways are no different to um, some of the other? Uh, traffic control towers. So if there, if a pilot experiences a radio failure on our behalf, he will react as if there was a radio failure yep. at a normal time. Uh, so in that way, it's no difference. We also have the ability on the pan tilt zoom camera to put a um, a light device, so we can okay. give it greens and reds to the pilot yep. if we have radio failures. So in some ways, it just reflects normal tower operations. Okay. Australia is well used to having a centralised, and so is New Zealand, a centralised air traffic control system here. Have you had a lot of input for people that are used to working in those environments while you're developing this system? Well, certainly the, um, the, the we've taken a lot of technical lessons from Sweden. Um, we've spoken to the air services guys here on, on a daily basis, control Broome from Brisbane, control out as far as halfway to South Africa from Melbourne. Yep. They have all the same satellite comms issues that we're going to come up, so it's not a new issue for them, yep. using satellite or fibre optics for communication and things like that. So we're all relatively comfortable that we are, uh, yep. have got those issues covered. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Excellent. It's been great to have the opportunity to talk about our new technology and yep. um, if anybody has any questions, you know, we're more than happy to feel those questions. Okay, no, it's very exciting looking stuff. And, very impressive uh, setup. Yeah, <laughs> looking forward to seeing it more coming out into Australia. Okay, cool. Thanks, right. Thanks, guys.
we're here with Peter Dow, uh, who's the Peter. Are you the, you're the CEO and also the CFI. That's that's correct. Okay. Now, for those in the US, CFI actually means Chief Flying Instructor, not just Certified Flying Instructor. So Peter's the boss in the air, and he's the boss on the ground of TVSA, uh, a uh, it's Tarragon Valley Tar- Tarago Valley School of Aviation, but it's now TVSA Pilot Training. There you go, TVSA Pilot Training. Uh, they've been around for quite a while do, and trained a lot of people. Thirty years. Excellent. So uh, we're here to uh, have a quick chat about the history of TVSA and also some pretty momentous news that uh, cuts right to the core of something that uh, has been very important for Steve and I and an issue that we've raised again and again. So, uh, Peter, welcome aboard. Thank you very much. As I said, we've been uh, operating now for 30 years. uh, continually, we, we uh, started in a little uh, school down at a little tiny little place in Gippsland called Long a little grass strip, and uh, then we moved into Moorabbin and then to Bacchus Marsh, yep. and we've now consolidated everything at uh, Bacchus Marsh um, for various reasons. One is there's no landing charges and air service <laughs> fees, so there's, sa- there's savings there. Yep. Um, and we offer all the uh, Civil Aviation Safety Authority courses right from the very basics right through to airlines. Okay. But we also approved by the education department to offer the uh, Certificate for Diplomas and Advanced Diplomas as well. And uh, that's the part that's been very exciting, as you've just mentioned. Uh, we've uh, just been approved by the government uh, for a thing called a VET Fee Help, which allows the student to uh, actually uh, collect money, if you like, to have the, have the fees paid for for them. So they'll come along and say, want to do a diploma, uh, the government will pay for all or part of that uh, that training. So it's like a government f- subsidised student loan that you then pay back once you start earning money. Absolutely. And uh, once I think the, f- the uh, trigger for paying it back this year is 44000 So okay. until you earn 44000 a year, you don't pay anything back. And a lot of pilots want to earn 44000 or more. Yeah, they're happy with that. That's right. Um, so we've, um, we've uh, got, uh, got the vet fee help. We're the, we're the first ones in, in, in Australia um, in aviation and, um, and at, at present the only ones. Um, so we're, uh, we're marketing like mad at the moment to, uh, to allow students to take advantage of the uh, vet fee help. Yep. Um, there are other programs that we have, and as I mentioned, we do the normal commercial licences, instructor ratings, of which now the instructor rating, by the way, is VET fee help available as well. Oh, wow. The multi-engine instrument rating is VET fee help available. Um, so that's a real bonus. Somebody who's got a commercial licence wants to do a multi-engine instrument rating, which most people do, yeah. they get it on VET fee help. That's great. So they don't have to pay for anything themselves. The whole lot is covered. That's awesome, because um, that's that's been one of our big bugbears, has yeah. been the, the, the sheer barrier to entry of getting your pilot's license. Well, so many other um, courses, uh, and uh, you know, look, there's various types of courses, but so many other courses get subsidised yeah. and get fees from the government. And aviation has never had anything, and we now we we got it. We're getting it. To put it bluntly, it's about bloody time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, there, there is one other uh, course that we do run. It's a thing called flight camp, and it's a uh, a camp for teenagers. Yep. They, it's an actual living camp for a week. And we have people come from uh, not just Australia, we have them come from overseas. So we've had the last camp, we had, we had two uh, guys, one from Thailand and one from Singapore. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, it, it, it's really to get people interested in, in whether they want to fly or not, yeah. or whether they, they might do the, the camp and say, look, it's not for me, that's terrific. Uh, they might do the camp and say, well, gee, I'd rather be a maintenance engineer, you yeah. know, because we, we, we cover that as well. It's very career orientated. Okay. Lots of trips, tours, a lot of guest speakers. But then again, they might do the thing and they get 
they're hooked. They want to yeah. do it. That's that's their career. How yeah. much would uh, you be looking at uh, price-wise for a course like that? Yeah, there's about five different courses, um, but the basic course is about uh, I think it's about eleven hundred dollars, and that includes the flying and the accommodation and the tours for the week. And how many hours of flying would they get? We were interested in that because yeah. our New Zealand correspondent was only telling us an episode or two back of our show about the Walsh School over in uh, in right. just near Auckland, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They, they, there's there's the introductory, which which is the, 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 about the cost that I've just said around 1100 and that's about four hours of flying but then there's the introductory extra they do 10 hours of flying right okay. mm. but of oh. course that's dearer of course that's up yep. around the 1900 yep mm. but it's it's still uh, a lot cheaper than going down and, and giving it a try oh, at, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, cool. and and that includes their accommodation food yep. um, it's fully supervised because it's it's for uh, teenagers uh, they have to be 15 years of age okay and uh, uh, so it's 15 basically to about 19 year I guess 10, 11 and 12s, yeah. that okay. sort of thing. Yeah. Cool. And um, what sort of aircraft do you have in your fleet? I noticed when I was, I remember back when I was doing my flying training at Shutt, actually just up the road, and uh, TVSA was this little building just off to the mm-hmm. side there, and I've always wondered um, where you keep your fleet or do you hire yeah, well, well, as I said, we're at Backus Marsh now, <clears throat> and um, uh, we've got uh, Cessna 152s, uh, Piper Warrior 2s, uh, Piper Arrow and Seneca 2 they're, they're the aircraft that we have we have 12 aircraft um, and um, they're all based at Bacchus Marsh and as I said one of the reasons that we moved to Bacchus Marsh was uh, no landing fees tower fees um, uh, cheaper cheaper rents uh, of the land we own the buildings and everything but uh, yeah it's, it's, it's about uh, one tenth of what it would cost to have the same organisation at Moorabbin yeah, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I, I was flying with you guys when you were at Moorabbin, first in the A-frame, then in the uh, in the spaces above uh, yep. King Island yep. Airlines. Yep. Yeah, and Tango Yankee Alpha was one that yeah, I spent a bit yeah, of time in. Right. I think India Lima Mike was the other oh, one. Uh, uh, IBL, it was. Oh, that's yeah. right, India yeah. Bravo Lima. That's yeah. I did yeah. my first ever flight in yeah, IBL. Well, that was yeah. at Shuts, <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a nostalgia trip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it, it's... Um, I guess it's um, the, the vet fee help is the thing that we're really pushing at the moment, and yeah. and, um, and here at the air show we um, we're marketing it for the for the uh, for the first time. Yeah. Um, and uh, we will go Australia wide. We'll market it in uh, New South Wales, uh, Queensland, and South Australia as well as as well as Victoria. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Was it a, an involved process in getting approved uh, with the government? I imagine it was. <laughs> <laughs> it took it took two years to the month. Oh, wow. uh, and was a lot of heartache. I, there were times when I really didn't think I was going to get there. Uh, I, it's like being underwater for some time, and you're just about ready to give up and open your mouth. And you know, <laughs> I've, I've had enough. You know, uh, but uh, it, it, right at the it, right at the end, uh, I was sort of given a little bit of uh, information, and a couple of pa- bits of paperwork came through that I was told that if I got this paperwork, I was almost there. And and it came, and uh, it gave me uh, it gave me a little bit of a spur on, and. Uh, it was one of the best best days of my life when I was driving to work in the morning and my mobile went and uh, this person from the government rang and said, uh, Peter, congratulations, you've got vet fee help. Woo-hoo. Right. And uh, it was that's, sensational. Yeah, fist pump. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I think you should be absolutely complimented for what you're doing here. The price of flight training has always been a problem in Australia. It yeah. forced me overseas and, yeah. and our listeners would know that. I do most of my flying training in the US because it was so expensive yes. here. Yes, yes. And like Grant says, it's such a barrier to entry. So I really think, and combined with the flight camp, getting the kids in and getting them involved, you really, we really should compliment you on that. It's a, yeah, it's a great thanks. thing you're doing. Definitely. Yep. Thanks, mate. Thank you.
And now it's time for Timbo's Tarmac. We're here in uh, the blue room, one of the many blue rooms with uh, Timbo. Timbo, mate, you're in charge of the Warbird Tarmac and a fair bit of the movements that go on down here near the, um, the Combat Jet Tarmac. Mate, welcome to the show. Thank you, Grant. Glad to be here. Cool. Now, Timbo, you've been running Tarmac down here for a while, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I'd have to count it up. I think this is number eight okay. for me. So, okay. yeah, I've been doing it for a while. Cool. And you've been in charge of Warbirds for about three shows now? Uh, four. Four? Yep. Okay, well done. Um, so what's it like running a Warbird Tarmac? Uh, probably the easiest tarmac on the field to run, but don't tell anyone I said that. Okay. Oh, shoot. Um, hang on, we should have that. <laughs> so why is it so damn easy? Because these guys are professional display pilots. That's all they do is they go to air shows. So we talk to them when they come in, we tell them what we want them to do. They look after themselves pretty much after that. We just run around and help them out and make sure they got what they need. Cool. Now, it looks like you've got a lot of stealth aircraft on your tarmac today because it's empty they are yes very covert over there yeah. uh, they're a bit shy of the old ones they don't come out till there's enough people to see them okay so they, they really want to str- strut their stuff that's right yeah. yeah no point showing off if there's no one to look at okay uh, so what are we expecting to show up oh actually we should never ask that question should we no we've got a pretty well confirmed list so yeah. we we know what's coming in okay. uh, we've got our parking arrangements all set up so we, we know what's coming in okay cool there we go Okay, so it looks like... So we've got the... From Tamora, we've got the Sabre, yep. which is the... It's actually a RAF, still owned by the RAF. RAF Tamora yep. maintain and run that for them. Um, the Vampire that's coming up belongs to Judy Pay, that's coming okay. up from East, from East Sale. Oh, she's going to have it here, good. That's right. The Meteor is uh, Tamora's aircraft, as is the yep. Hudson. Yep. And they're bringing down these... Uh, the uh, Spitfire, yep. Mark 8 they're bringing down this time, okay. and the Boomerang. Cool. Looks like you're going to have the Southern Knights here. Knights are coming in, yes. Yep, cool. Um, and then we've also got uh, all the museum aircraft coming down as well. Okay, cool. So it is going to get a little busy. It looks like you've got some space here for some other aircraft to park them up. They always throw some extras at us, so we always yeah. keep a bit of space available. Yep, cool. Okay, now Timbo, just tell us a little bit about your background in aviation. Me? No, I've um, just had a uh, private licence for uh, about 18 years now, so that's just mm-hmm. something that I've decided to do. and. Okay. Don't get a lot of time to maintain it, unfortunately, at the moment. So, yeah, time yeah. to get a few more hours up. Okay. So, why Warbirds? What's got you in on the Warbirds tarmac? Why did, did you have any involvement with them before? It was the first tarmac that I got thrown onto okay. when I came to uh, to Avalon many shows ago. Uh, and I just liked the old Warbirds. There's just something yeah. about those old aircraft that, uh, you know, there's plenty of heavy metal around. They all look the same, but we get a lot of different aircraft there, and they certainly draw as much attention, if not in more, than uh, most of the other Warbirds other okay. players. Ian Honorary, when we interviewed him, talked a lot about the spirit of volunteerism and how, how he spoke quite affectionately, I thought, about the volunteers and the great job that they do here. So what attracted you to come down here? What inspired you to come down here and volunteer to work at the air show? Well, strangely, the first air show I did here, I was actually working radio communications and uh, one of the guys I had me working with at the time was organising the radios and asked if I wanted to come down and, and help out. So that's where I got involved and so I did that the first show second show they uh, changed it up and outsourced it all so they said to me where do you want to go so I said well I play with planes a little bit put me out the tarmac and I've been there ever since okay Timbo well uh, if there's any, is there anything else you want to say no we're just looking forward to a few busy days once I get rid of those stealth aircraft on my field get some real warbirds <laughs> out there I'll be much happier but we are starting to expect them to come in as of tomorrow and yeah. the majority of them on Thursday okay so looks good Awesome. So are you cool to have us come down and talk to you every afternoon and see what's happened? Oh, if you must, we'll tell you yeah, what happened, for yeah. sure. You'll slum it and talk we're, to yeah, us? Yeah, no, we can, we can put up with you, I'm sure. Okay. Thanks, Timbo. That's right, mate. No problem. And now it's time for In the Keyhole with Papa Smurf. Okay, Papa Smurf, 
in the absence of Taffy, who has officially chickened out, uh, <laughs> let's have a chat about what is the keyhole, mate? The keyhole is probably uh, at times one of the busiest places around. We generally use or handle the largest aircraft. Okay. Uh, things like uh, C-17s, Globemasters, uh, KC-10 tankers, B-1 bombers, that yeah. sort of thing. They all get squeezed in here in the uh, keyhole? They certainly get squeezed in, all right. <laughs> There's not a lot of them here at the moment, but uh, earlier today there was a little bit hectic around here. Yeah. But um, with the keyhole, uh, it's part of Blue Tarmac. And Blue Tarmac also includes combat jets, yep. or heavy combat jets, and light combat jets. Okay. Um, we had a problem... Uh, not long after lunch today with uh, a 74, Qantas 747 uh, leaving Avalon that uh, blew a hell of a lot of fod yeah. off the edge of the runway or the taxiways onto the taxiways. Yeah, I hear his number one and two engines were hanging over the edge into, yeah. the, into the grunge. Yep, they certainly were and uh, we had an F-16 and a, a BAE Hawk 127 waiting to go off. Um, we couldn't let them go yeah. until we'd got rid of all the uh, foreign objects. So you had a, you had an F-16 and a Hawk both sitting there, they got covered in, in crud? Well they didn't actually get covered in crud but we couldn't start them up. Okay. Uh, otherwise if they taxied over at all they'd suck it up, especially the F-16 and yeah. uh, damage their engine. It's commonly called FOD, foreign yep. object damage. Yep. Uh, we have some fairly exotic aircraft in here at the moment as well. Yeah. They're only small ones. They're the uh, F-22 Raptors from the United States Air Force. Yeah, it's great to have, finally have them here at the show. It is. And the amazing thing was that one of the pilots that came over here with them is an Australian on exchange to the USAF. No way. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Okay, so... so yeah, that was good. So we've got the two Raptors, we've got a B1 and we've got a C-17, yep. two C-17s because we've got an Aussie one as well. That's right. And yep. we're going to squeeze a KC-10 in here as well. No, the KC-10 is only turning around today. Oh, he's going to head home? He's heading home. Okay. Uh, we have a, a CASA 235, which is yep. a uh, French yep. Army Delay yep. Yep. aircraft. And we also have a, a Alenia C-27J the Spartan. Spartan. Yeah, yeah. Fairly radical uh, yeah. twin-engine transport. The um, baby Hercules. Yeah, that, uh, it's an Italian Air Force one, and yeah. they do a pretty good job of throwing it around the yeah, sky. Yeah, they practically barrel roll the they thing, did. don't they? Yeah. They did. Yeah. And uh, what else? At the moment, we don't have anything else, but we uh, by the weekend we will have uh, a super constellation from Haas. Yep. Uh, also, they're bringing their uh, P2. Oh, the Neptune, Neptune, PTV, Neptune yeah. uh, their Dakota, yeah. and also their Black Cat. The oh, Catalina. the Catalina. Yeah. And that's all going to squeeze in here? It'll all squeeze in here. Oh, man, it's going to be sort of like playing Tetris, getting them in and out. But once we get them in, uh, we can sit back and relax a bit until <laughs> we've got to get them out. Out <laughs> again. Okay, mate, well... It, uh, it gets fairly hectic here at times, but yeah. other times we sit back and relax and enjoy the crowd cool well uh we're gonna come and see you every day if we can towards the end of the day and just yep. have a quick you update with you yes yep yeah. okay dave smith aka papa smurth thank you very much no worries thank cool. you cheers mate 
Okay, so there we go, Grant. And uh, boy, it's uh, been a very busy day and uh, those were some fascinating interviews there. Wasn't it really uh, great uh, news to hear about the government sponsorship of the uh, of the uh, pilot training scheme there at TVSA? Oh, mate, I, I, congratulations to Peter Dow for going through the hard yards there. That's absolutely brilliant. Yep. Uh, he's done a lot of effort to make sure that we're able to uh, offer the ability for people to offset the cost of their flying training to when they're actually earning money. So I think that's brilliant and that will really help bring a lot more people into flying. Uh, it's been a major bugbear is just that huge barrier to entry of the cost of learning to fly. Yep, and we've said to Peter that, uh, and particularly with the uh, the flight camp concept that he's also talking about, and uh, interesting that we'd only been just saying the other episode when we were talking to Dan Morris in New Zealand, gee whiz, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was somebody doing it here? Yeah. Well, it turns out there is. So uh, we've uh, told Peter that uh, anytime he wants to come on and have a talk about some of the activities that are going on in those camps, he's more than welcome, yep. and I think uh, that's just such a positive thing. Yep. And I would really encourage uh, all of our listeners, uh, tvsa.com, Au, Go and have a look there and uh, see if there's some services there that Peter can help you out with. He's uh, not paying us to say that, but we think uh, what he's doing is uh, such a positive thing. Yeah, mate, it's not quite to the same level as the camp that goes on in uh, New Zealand, but uh, every little bit counts, and it's great to find that Peter and the crew at TVSA are, are doing such a lot of effort to make it uh, easier to get more people in flying. So uh, with that, thanks to everyone who was involved with today. We've got a lot of work to do to get this episode out, finalise the edits, put it all together, release it, and I've got a lot of business cards and emails to uh, go through and process and get ready for tomorrow and the rest of the week. Yeah. And we're going to try and get a good night's sleep tonight so we can get up really early and not get caught in the horrendous traffic that we got caught in uh, on Melbourne's freeway system this morning. It was terrible. So uh, that wraps it up for this QuickCast episode number one from the Media Centre here at uh, Avalon Airport at Avalon 2011. We'll be back tomorrow with QuickCast number two. Until then, just remember this. It's what's down under at Avalon that counts. You've been listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, recorded live at Avalon 2011. Proudly brought to you by Aviation Advertiser, with classified ads starting as low as $39. Connect with Australia's largest buy and sell aviation community, aviationadvertiser.com.au. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel and our PCDU Twitter feed can be found at our website, planecrazydownunder.com. Contact us with feedback, story ideas or advertising inquiries. Drop us a line anytime. Playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com. Playing Crazy Down Under is a Southern Skies online media podcast. Music.